Welcome to Teaching Takeaways, Season 1, Episode 8. I'm your host, Amanda, and I'm glad you're here. This podcast series is about sharing favorite tools, strategies, thoughts, and fun finds on all things education. If you have any connection to the education field and want to finesse your craft, this is the space to hang out and grab a piece of instant relevance, a takeaway you can apply to your classroom the very same day. Today, I have a treat for you. Recently, I had the pleasure of chatting with Summer Pettigrew from Charleston County Schools. If you're on Twitter, she is a fabulous resource, and we'll talk more about that later. You need to listen to all of her fabulousness in the world of HyperDocs. Have you heard of HyperDocs? If you're looking for an easy and engaging way to differentiate within your classroom while integrating technology, Summer is your guru. So here we go. Welcome, Summer, to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Will you tell our audience a little bit more about your background? Yeah, sure thing. So um, I teach in beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. Um, This is my 16th year in education. Um, I have mostly taught fifth grade. I've done a little sixth grade, um, but fifth grade is sort of my heart. I love it. I have my national board certification and I got my elementary education degree from the College of Charleston and um, also gifted and talented certified. Um, And I think one unique thing about my experience is that, and I don't know if this is unique to everybody, but in Charleston it is. Um, I've taught fifth grade in an elementary school and also in a middle school, which is where I currently am. So it's been kind of a cool perspective. That is interesting. So first off, we need to have you back on the podcast to just talk about the College of Charleston. Okay, love to. <laughs> that is also a dream space. When I talk to my little, I'm like, you know, I really think you need to go to the College of Charleston. And my husband's like, yeah, he's like, mm, there's no reason to leave the North Carolina University system, you know, to to pay <laughs> for oh, you're fine to um, go out of state or to a private school. But I'm like, oh, but it's Charleston. Like, yeah. <laughs> like we can make some sacrifices. Right. But um, anywho, the other part that I thought was really interesting is that you teach fifth grade in a middle school now. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so Charleston has a lot of school choice, and one of the partial magnet options for parents is um, an advanced studies, and we try to put those, or they have tried to put those in a lot of different areas. Charleston School District is uh, about 100 miles end to end, so it's very large, Um, and I'm out in a rural community called Johns Island. And so they, um, about 10 years ago, developed an academic advanced studies program for, for parents who Um, wanted to give their kids a little extra push. Um, And so part of that was to put a a partial magnet into this magnet setting so that they could get a little bit of a advanced prep into the the magnet setting. Um, Unfortunately, it is the last year of the fifth grade being here, but it has been a really unique experience for over a decade. So good perspective on, you know, kind of how kids come to middle school, what preparedness they have and, and sort of um, how to transition a little bit more easily. 
Now, will you get to stay there and maybe go up to sixth grade? Or are you going to switch schools for next year? We, we're not sure yet. They're definitely working on um, being able to help have us loop up. Um, but I haven't really made any decisions yet. I'll have to keep you posted on that one. <laughs> right on. Well, I do know, um, I don't, we didn't have much time to chat at the conference where I first met you. We met briefly at the North Carolina Elementary uh, Educators Association. I always put those words in all the wrong order, but <laughs> anywho, we what met. conference. Yes, it was at the conference. <laughs> and um, I sat in on your presentation on HyperDocs, which I guess I've lived under a rock because I didn't know anything about it, but I liked your jazzy description and so, you know, that's kind of why I rolled in. So can you tell our listeners what HyperDocs are and your history yeah. with this fabulous tool? Yeah, so I, I kind of happened to stumble upon these HyperDocs myself about four years ago. Um, I had a short time out of the classroom where I was a innovation coach helping teachers implement uh, technology in just, you know, more meaningful ways, more creation versus consumption kind of coaching. Um, and so I was looking for something for one of my teachers. And in my mind, I had the idea of the very old school web quest. Like she wanted yes. the kids to be independent on this activity, but she wanted to have everything in one place for them. And so I'm just, I'm searching, I'm searching, I'm trying to create these things. And I come across this website called hyperdocs.co. And I'm like, whoa, this is really cool. And I start digging and digging. Um, and, and your question to me was not, tell me how you found HyperDocs, but I like to throw that in there because um, a lot of people are like, why don't I know about this? And I think it's just this really up and coming phenomenon, really. Um, but I can tell you what they are by telling what they aren't. And the, um, the name HyperDocs kind of leads you to think that it's a document with a bunch of hyperlinks in it, but it's a whole lot more than that. It's, um, it's a very carefully curated lesson. Um, and I like to say curated because I'm telling you I have fallen in love with lesson design. I don't even call it planning anymore. It's like designing this really unique experience for my students. So it goes through a learning cycle um, with the curated materials in very strategic places. So the teacher kind of has to think about the standards and objectives and how she wants, he or she wants to convey that to the students and packaging it in a way that takes them through a process like the 5e um, model or the explore, explain, apply model. There's, there's a lot of different lesson concepts that can be developed into a hyperdoc. Um, and, you know, Google Docs is sort of the best way to do it because it's easy to modify those and collaborate with those. Um, but I, I know teachers that have used the Microsoft suite to create these as well. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just sort of a nicely packaged lesson that the students can work on without having to kind of stray outside of the browser that they're in at that moment, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I have started working on the book that you were so generous to, to give away in your oh, workshop, which is so fun. Um, so like, I think they kind of just need to take you on the road and put you with all the conferences because it was, you gave us an opportunity to hear what it was and then dig into it and kind of see and talk to people. So I really like that instead of just, you know, you just giving us all kinds of information, um, your presentation style to explain it was pretty fab as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, moving on to our next question. What is your favorite way to use HyperDocs right now being math and science? 
Yeah, so there's, you know, I've, this is only my second year back in the classroom since I discovered them. And so last year was sort of like, let me try all the things. <laughs> and I found myself using them um, just because I wanted to use them. And that was a learning experience for me. And so now I really think about, you know, that HyperDocs can really be used in any part of a unit. Um, but I really like to use them as an engagement tool at the beginning. Um, and so there's like a shorter hyperdoc of here's a video to watch. Here's a thing pair share activity I want you to do with your neighbor. And now tell me what you think about this concept. So kind of as an opener, I think they fit really nicely in the middle of a lesson to, um, or middle of a unit to get students engaged in creating something about what they're learning. But then I think they also fit really nicely at the end to wrap up. So my favorite way to really use them is sort of um, kind of as the lesson or, or, or standard or objective leads me to. It's sort of on a whim sometimes. Right on. <laughs> you know, I think a hyperdoc would be great to reinforce this strategy or this skill. So that's sort of where I am at this point in my hyperdocking. I hope that I can kind of get a better idea as I've been back in the classroom a little longer of, you know, specific standards that I'm teaching and creating those hyperdocs for that standard rather than looking for a hyperdoc to meet what I'm doing at the moment. So, um, you know, it's, it's evolving. <laughs> right on. Well, I think it's fabulous. And so um, thank you so much. What is one strategy for getting started with HyperDocs that you think that uh, sharing with our educators to enhance their teaching craft? So I think for sure to go to the website, hyperdocs.co, um, there are already pre-made templates and hyperdocs out there. I would never recommend to anybody to start from scratch. I'm still not there yet. Um, if you go to their website and look into the resources tab, there are um, Google Drive folders full of hyperdocs that people have shared. And that's sort of their motto, teachers give teachers. There's a great community of sharing out there. And the beautiful thing about it is that you can find a, a hyperdoc that's been created by another teacher and just go to file, make a copy and you can remix it to meet your needs. I think that is a great place to start. Um, looking on the internet, Google search, you know, HyperDoc, and right now I'm teaching ecosystems. So if I just put those two words in a Google search, um, more than likely I will find resources, whether it's on Teachers Pay Teachers, Teachers Give Teachers, HyperDocs.co, there's something out there that I can remix. Um, I think with students, a lot of times too, they're not used to learning in this very um, student-centered situation. I think we're, you know, most teachers are striving at this point to become a more, a more, um, more of a facilitator, if you will, and giving the students, especially in the older grades, a little more autonomy and um, teaching them how to function outside of teacher lecture. <laughs> um, and so I think having, you know, when you're first introducing HyperDocs to students, doing one together, taking them through the parts of the HyperDoc, explaining what each of the parts, like if it's explore, what does that mean? Um, if we're applying our knowledge, what does that look like? And, and, and just kind of work through one together. I think at the older grades, by the time they've gotten to me in fifth grade, they have a relatively good idea of what it looks like to work on a digital lesson. Um, we're one-to-one -one in our district. And so there's, there's been a lot of that evolving in Charleston County over the years. But it's never a bad idea to reinforce the expectations together at first. Now, do you ever start with this one piece of the HyperDoc and that's like your launching point instead of going through like a complete lesson plan, make it more blended where you're just pulling in a piece and teaching those behaviors? Or do you think it's better to just 
rip the bandaid off and go for it? <laughs> I think that really depends on your learners. Like my classroom, um, the, the students in here are pretty high achieving. They've had a lot of uh, structure in their past. Um, and I think that for my group, I could say I could look at the hyperdoc as a whole. And this is what I typically do just with my kids is I put it up on the Promethean panel and I go through each section and talk to them about what they're going to be doing in each section. Because a lot of times, I don't know about you, but a lot of times my students don't like to read and so just sort of <laughs> them and try to figure it out. So we really talk about paying attention to the words on the hyperdoc and that everything they need is there for them. But I also think that there's some classrooms and some teachers that would prefer to do that one step at a time thing. And I really think it just depends on your learners. Um, one way, one other way that you could sort of introduce this type of learning students is um, through a multimedia text set, which we know in the non-digital world what that looks like. Um, but in the digital world, it's almost like a game board full of resources that students can explore um, before the lesson. So maybe there's 10 choices and with a partner, they choose six things from that multimedia text set and they're watching and they're reading and they're discussing and they're writing. And so it kind of brings in all the different modalities that, that children need when they're, when they're learning something new. So I think that's another really great way. And in the HyperDocs handbook, there's some information on multimedia text sets that kind of are a good starting point, I think, because they're a little less intimidating to plan for, to be honest with you. Right. Now, what about classrooms that are not one-to-one? -one? I think we're seeing less and less of that, but there are still some out there. And how do HyperDocs fit into those classrooms? Yeah, so that, that can definitely be a little more challenging. Um, you know, ideally, when a student's working on a HyperDoc, that's going to be time for the teacher to sort of informally assess and, and conference with small groups um, while the rest of the class is working through other part portions of the HyperDoc. So if you're not one-to-one, -one, some things that I've seen in other classrooms um, is that teachers maybe have two or three devices that they can use, and they rotate students through over a week's time to work on that. Now that's, again, gonna depend on your class size, the standards you're trying to teach. Um, you know, computer lab space is always an option, or at least hopefully always an option for schools. Um, and then, I, you know, with older kids um, in the high school level, I've seen teachers um, with the bring-your-own-device model where they've had students to download Google you know, Drive and work through HyperDocs on their phones. Um, so I think that's a couple of, those are a couple of options. If it were me and I only had my own device or maybe my Promethean panel, um, I, I would probably limit the length of the HyperDoc and really hit pieces like the creation, the apply. So maybe I'm doing the, the lesson as a whole group and then the part where they have to create or apply what they've learned can be done digitally through a station rotation model, um, you know, some, something to that effect where you can really hone in on working with smaller groups of students at one time. Now, do you have other educators in your building that have also um, drank the Kool-Aid of HyperDocs or oh, are you a... Yeah, so um, we're, we were definitely working on getting a little more comfortable in the Google suite in general. Um, and we've transitioned through a lot of different types of devices here at my school. So we've gone from iPads to Chromebooks, from smart boards to Promethean panels. And so I think right now our focus is sort of strengthening, um, you know, the devices that we have in our classroom, getting comfortable with them again. Um, so I definitely have shared it with my teammate. She's using them a lot. And then a couple of the sixth grade teachers have definitely um, 
drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. It works. It's um, really addictive. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, and I didn't send this question over, but it just kind of popped into my head. What about data? Are you noticing a difference in growth or student proficiency using this versus you know, more traditional way of teaching or are you guys still in the process of getting there? Yeah, I don't know. Just sort of anecdotally, I I see a huge increase in engagement, which as we know is going to increase achievement over time. Um, I think the kids really appreciate being able to work on their own level. And, and one other thing I'll just add in about that, you know, when we're thinking about meeting the needs of all of our learners, hyperdocs are really good about um, well, being in a lesson framework. And so we're teaching content in a structured way that's easy for kids to understand. But the beautiful part about it to meet every learner where they are, for me anyways, because I use Google Classroom, is I can make a template of a hyperdoc and I can plug in all the information, general information that I want to be there. But then I can make three different copies and have a low, middle, and high hyperdoc and then send those to the specific students through Google Classroom that need that. So if I've got kids reading on a lower Lexile, the article that I put in there is not gonna look the same as the article that's in the high achieving groups hyperdoc. And so that's really a nice way to, you know, differentiation is very hard to do when you have large class sizes. This is a way to sort of ease that burden and get everybody working in their comfort zone. You know, I'm able to pull small groups because I know the rest of my class is really deep into this hyperdoc that's keeping them focused because it's all in one place. <laughs> right, absolutely. Um, so I think that's one thing that I've noticed is that through the engagement piece, they're, they're learning more and I'm able to hit that differentiation piece a lot more solidly. Excellent. And, and I know when I was presenting the other week on differentiation at a conference, we brought up your hyperdocs and I told them, you know, I was really excited about it. And from a differentiation perspective, I love that piece because, you know, kids are starting to be, you know, the older they get, the more aware they are of their groupings. And I do like that having, if everybody has a device and everybody's working on the same something, but they are working on it to their proficiency level, then right. you don't know what's going on, you know, because they're A, engaged in what they're doing and B, because they're engaged, they can't look at what Susie or Bobby are doing on their computer because it just looks like everybody's working towards, you know, the same something. So right, right. I think it and helps. The idea of flexible grouping um, physically can come into play with this as well, because if I know that, you know, for this particular skill, these three kids need something a little higher, they're not always going to be working together on that skill, but if they're working on a hyperdoc together, they're discussing the same strategies and the, and the, and the ideas behind what they're doing, but theirs might look a little different than the, than the group sitting beside them. So you can still sort of get them collaborating through this, even though it's digital and talking about what they're doing. So I like, you know, really good point that they're not, everybody's not aware that they're the red group or the blue group. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that just makes the classroom culture a lot more positive um, because they're all just viewed as learners. Right. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, what is your why in education? Like, why do you go back to your classroom every single day? Oh, gosh, I feel like that has changed a lot. It changes, like, every couple of years. Um, you know, at first, my why was, I want to, you know, just like every young teacher, I want to change the world, and I just want everybody to, to be as 
capable as they can be. And, and while I still want that, um, I really, I have a four and a half year old son now. And for me right now, he is so excited to go out on a walk and look at stuff and observe things and learn new things. And then I walk into my classroom and I see kids by the time they're in fifth grade that are already just over it. And so I think that if I can do one thing in a year that I have these students with me, I just want them to be excited about being curious. And I think that, you know, technology, a lot of people have their feelings about it, but I think that we are in a really unique place in education right now where we can hook these kids back in with something that they are comfortable with, they're good at it, um, and we can provide these carefully curated resources to make it just that much more exciting for them to learn about, you know, fractions or, you know, the World War II or whatever it is you're teaching at that time. Um, but I, I really think for me, I just want kids to love learning again. We have, you know, really dissolved that with this over-testing and under-assessing that's going on. Um, I think, you know, just bring that spirit back. If I can do that in a year... It makes me happy. <laughs> Agreed. And it's funny that you mentioned about your son because my why changes, you know, from year to year as well. You know, it's different once I feel like you become a parent mm-hmm. and you look at your own kiddos, then you go back in the classroom and you're like, oh, snap. Like I need to like <laughs> up it because you're looking at him as everybody else's kiddos now. You know, it's just a different yeah. lens. So I like that. For sure. Now, if you could turn back the time and talk to your newer teacher self, what would you tell her? Oh, boy. (laughs) So many things, Amanda. Um, (laughs) I I really was very fortunate um, coming up in a school that was super supportive, but it was not an easy school. And so I'm a pretty competitive person with myself, not so much with other people, but I just wanted to be the best teacher that I could be but I went home every day and just fell apart. So I think that if I could tell my younger teacher self one thing, um, it would be, you're gonna get there. It's not gonna be easy, but you're gonna get there. I think at this point, I've realized that even 16 years in, it's never easy. You're never gonna be perfect at it. You're gonna have bad days still. And I think when I looked at veteran teachers as a younger teacher and I just thought, oh man, they really just have it together. Why is it so easy for them? Um, What I didn't realize was that it's not easy for them. This is the hardest job on the planet. And um, I wanna thank my younger teacher self for not quitting because there were times I wanted to. And I'm pretty proud of the progress I've made. Um, And I think if we could just tell any newer teacher that you need to continue to be a learner once you stagnate, that's it. Um, I think that if you can continue to be curious and passionate about what you're doing, that the kids will catch on to that and they'll feel the same way. Agreed. One thousand percent. I feel it's the same way about becoming like adult and adult and adulting. Like you can, once you decide you're an old person. Yeah, adulting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> once you decide you're an old person, it's like, that's it. But if you never make that decision that you're just going to keep on keeping on, feel like um you stay young same thing with you know teaching like you can still keep that level of excitement but you just have you know a few more tricks in your toolbox that maybe you didn't have as a first few years teacher well this is thanks this is the part of the podcast that I have some rapid fire questions that I did not send your way (laughs) all right I'm ready (laughs) all right so here we go number one if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? 
I'm just going with the first thing that popped in my yes, head, ma'am. and that would be an avocado. <laughs> and why? <I'm, laughs> I'm hungry. No, why? I think avocados are the most interesting thing. They are really rough looking on the outside, but on the inside, they are the beautiful color and they are delicious. And that is random, but that's what came into my head. Hey, that's why it's rapid fire. All right. (laughs) Number two, what are you curious about right now? Huh? You know, I have really, I have not taught reading in a long time. I am curious to know how reading teachers get through their day. I've been talking to some reading teachers that work in my school, and it sounds like it's just an amazing amount of work. So that's what I've been reflecting on right now is like, if I had to teach reading again, what would that be like? Because I know it's changed. It's been probably 10 years. I know it's changed a lot. You know, I have a friend that is an eighth grade language arts teacher, Mm -hmm. and I would never be an eighth grade language arts teacher. Just listening. Like she has so much grading every day, every night. It's just more and more papers. I just, I think fifth grade is like where I would max out Yeah. with, that, with the reading. That's for sure. I've been very curious about this all week. Like, how do you do it? <laughs> all right. Number three, what is something you have failed at and how did you recover? Oh boy. Um, there's a lot. I I think, gosh, I really, uh, oh, Amanda, you got me on this one. It's not that I haven't failed at stuff. It's like, what, which failure do I want to really think and talk about? Um, I'll be honest. I feel like I want to start over with my newborn child. Is that, is that random? No, that's a good one. I feel like there was a lot of, and I, I guess maybe all parents feel this way, but like when I look back at my friends who are having their second kid now and I'm like, gosh, if I did that again, I wouldn't do that again. Like <laughs> all the things that I made mistakes with, with my son, I'm like, is that why he doesn't eat things now? Is that why he is like the pickiest eater? So that's sort of the failure that I'm focusing on right now. And I, I'm recovering because I know that he's happy and he is healthy and he is thriving, but the perfectionist in me wants to go back and redo how I introduce solid foods to him and how, you know, I mean, that kind of thing. That's yeah. Not anything to do with education per se, but that's, that's sort of where I am. Well, that's okay. Can I tell you, so you teach fifth grade. I taught Mm -hmm. fifth grade for three years and what had happened was I had taught kindergarten and I had my, my oldest, my eight year old and switched schools. And all of a sudden I'm a fifth grade teacher. So I'm a first time mom with a 10 month old little girl kindergarten teacher and holy moly now I'm gonna teach fifth grade so um, I start in a brand new school so you know that first week of school you're teaching behaviors and you know the do's and don'ts to kind of set up your classroom for the year and on the first day of school right everybody dresses you know to impress and it's like probably the prettiest anyone's gonna look the whole school year is that first day? Right. And I am teaching them how to not jump up and down and raise their hands if I ask a question and say, ooh, 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 right? And I model this. This is bad. <laughs> I model this by sitting at my teacher chair. So we had smart boards and had like a little like technology station at the front of the room. So I'm modeling at the front of the room in the first mm, 30 minutes of school being going on, maybe 45 minutes. And when I'm doing the ooh, ooh, ooh and acting like I'm going to jump out of my seat... I miss my seat and I, it's on wheels and I 
hit the ground wearing a dress. And with the chair, I push into my pocket chart stand that was also on wheels. So I fly into the bookshelf at the front of the room, all on my very first day of teaching fifth grade. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is going to be a rough year. But, oh my gosh. I hope they helped you. Well, they were, <laughs> honestly, Summer, they were like completely shocked. But I didn't realize, never teaching fifth grade, that I didn't have to do all that, right? But teaching kindergarten, you do. Right. And so that, yep. you know, recovering from that was was a lot. It was very embarrassing to get back up and, you know, and fake yeah. it till you make it. And like, I got this. I can do this. So, um, anyhow, so I like your failure as well as you're not scarring your son. I, I probably scarred a whole room of fifth graders that day, but oh, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> so, um, number four, so I've got two more. So number four is what is your favorite way to spend time outside of education? Oh gosh. I am, um, <laughs> want to be professional horseback rider. So I, um, yeah, this, it's gotten a little harder to, um, to keep up with this habit now that I have a child, but, um, I ride dressage. I don't know if you're familiar with that and have sort of amateurly done that for about 25 years. I suppose. Yeah. So when I'm not at, when I'm not at school, when I'm not thinking about work, um, I love to be outside with the horses. I've just gotten my son on the back of a horse couple of times and that's been really fun so for me right now it's like once a week maybe if I'm lucky I go horseback riding that's sort of my sanity well that is fantastic and it's neat that you can share that with your son um, yeah he loves it to do that and my final rapid fire question is is there anything I should have asked you but didn't hmm any last little nuggets of wisdom you want to throw our way <laughs> well, about hyperdocs or just in general? Um, hyperdocs or anything really. Okay. Well, I think um, definitely, let me think here that you didn't ask me. So, one thing that I think you could have asked me is um, what are some other ways you can integrate technology into a hyperdoc? So, just to kind of throw out there, yes, the hyperdoc is sort of high tech. You've got um, the, the lesson that's sort of designed into a way that you need to meet your standard. Um, the packaging of it can be anything from Google Docs to Google Slides to My Maps. Any of that stuff would work. But one other way that I think it's really a great way to engage and get that um, assessment feedback that you need from your students is to throw in things like Flipgrid or Seesaw um, or WeVideo, iMovie, whatever it is to get students um, sharing their thinking. One way that I like to use uh, Flipgrid right now, specifically in math, is that the students can go through the lesson of the hyperdoc, but then their assess it piece would be where they are recording themselves solving a math problem, but explaining their thinking as they're going along. So I think that, you know, in addition to the hyperdoc just being a great lesson, you can integrate some of these other tools really nicely in there to get the data that we were talking about earlier that you need to know, hey, is this kid getting it? That's that's what I would say. And I like the explanation piece because I find in the classroom that is really challenging because kids will say, I just know. I did my right. head. And so having that accountability piece, I feel like ups the rigor to the lesson Absolutely. as well. 
Alrighty then. Well, if our listeners wanted to see any more of your fabulousness, where could they find you? Yes, you can follow me on Twitter. It is the least uh, creative Twitter handle in the world. It's at Summer Pettigrew. Um, that is where I usually post uh, some of my students' activities and work that they're doing. I share resources from our Innovation and Digital Learning District here, or um, Innovation and Digital Learning um, group of people in our district that kind of help teachers with this type of thing. Um, and so follow me on Twitter, and I'll share out some HyperDoc stuff periodically, as well as stuff from our district. Awesome. Well, Summer, I appreciate you donating some of your time to this passion project of mine. Well, I'm happy to do it. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of Teaching Takeaways. My hope is you are pumped to try HyperDocs in your classroom. You will not be sorry. Technology integration can be as easy as download, modify, and distribute to the learners in your classroom. Not only will students be more engaged, but I'm willing to bet your lesson design becomes more rigorous in the process. Links to this episode can be found by visiting www.teachingtakeaways.com. If you like what you've just heard, please consider leaving me a review on your podcast platform. Reviews help make the podcast more visible for new listeners to find us. If there's a topic you would like more information on, direct message me on Twitter at Amanda Hallman, on Instagram at Teaching Takeaways, or by email teachingtakeaways at gmail.com. Thanks so much for hanging with me for a piece of instant relevance, a teaching takeaway to use in your classroom the very same day. I will see you next Tuesday for a new teaching takeaway.